Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And with me, as always, is a man who is a really handsome 45-year-old in his early 30s. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and it's it's crazy how Robert Redford reached a point fairly early in his life uh, where he looked like a very handsome middle-aged man. Yeah. And just stayed there. Just rode that horse all the way. Like, I mean... Yeah, he has definitely He's still he riding has, that he, I horse. Mean, nowadays, when you see him, his current look is is more southern lawyer than it used to be. Yes, yes. he's definitely he's just some something about it. Like he's aged very, very well. He just yeah, it's, it it has slowly morphed over time. But certainly, he's thirty three in this movie, and yeah. he looks a full forty five. Yeah, yeah, he definitely looks. But I, but a very handsome forty five year old. It it is yeah. it is. Yeah. It is very, we've talked about this effect in other in other actors, uh, but this is probably he he had the the best thing going as far as that's concerned. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, I, I, I to the point where I went and looked it up when I started watching this movie. I was like, I was like, how, old, how is old is he in this? Because like, I'm like, it's the it's the sixties. Like, he can't be that old. He looks like he's in his mid forties. Why is he still skiing? He's forty five. And you go look at him. He's thirty three. <laughs> he's actually yeah. like he's older than his character. Presumably, but not clear. Uh, right. But certainly not the age he looks. It's it's very, it's all very confusing. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-criterion film. Users get to uh, vote on what that film is going to be. We put together a list every month based on whatever whims I'm having or whatever suggestions supporters might uh, throw my way. Maybe a random uh, internet oh. website you found with bad <laughs> yes, ideas. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the conservapedia list of it's uh, a good one of worst liberal children's films. Um, it's a good list. Did you know that the Big Green is uh, anti Reaganomics, and that is a reason we should and and pro immigrant, and that is a reason it should be condemned. I like uh, it. That that's fascinating. Like, I can see the the the. It, we don't need to get into it, but I was just thinking like pro immigrant yeah. as a like. As a thing yeah. that would be a, I don't know that that that's a mind well, the, bender, really. But. The problem is, of course, that the the child who is the child of immigrants in the Big Green is uh, is Hispanic. So I see. Uh, yeah, that's where the line gets drawn. Anyway, uh, we didn't actually talk about the Green uh, Big Green because what uh, what won that vote was Ernest goes to camp. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. But yeah I just, that's right. But but what sticks with me is their description of the Big Green. <laughs> In any case, we watch a lot of fun movies over there. Um, most recently, we've been on on kind of an accidental political kick. Uh, February's bonus episode was the documentary The Murder of Fred Hampton uh, from 1972, I believe. And before that, we watched the 1954 movie The Salt of the Earth, which is a wonderful movie about uh, 
about a strike, about about striking miners and their wives uh, winning. Uh, and it's just a very inspiring movie. Yeah, I want to uh, see. Maybe we can keep this going and we can just. Uh, yeah. Just uh, see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, access to those bonus episodes is just a dollar a month, like I said, and you get to vote on all of them. You get access to the entire back catalog. There's over 50 over there. Uh, and all of that for a dollar. For a little above that, $5. Uh, for people who want to send a little more money our way and, and get a little more something out of it, we do like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to our $5 supporters. Currently, we have Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Thank you so much to you. Yes, thank you. A bit above that, at $10 and above, our highest tier is uh, something that I think is pretty special. Every month, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a personalized note. So you get one piece of uh, bespoke artwork on a postcard every month with a little personalized note from me. What could be better? Nothing. No, That's what it's the be best better. thing you could possibly get. Sometimes Absolutely. Pat doesn't remember what month it is. It happens. Yeah. But as I said, that is $10 and above, and we also like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Nina Bajnak, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako, our $10 yes, and above supporters much. right now. Again, you can head over to patreon.com slash lostingcriterion to become a supporter. If you want to check out the postcards or buy some of the older postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can see... Examples of most. Maybe maybe buy Pat's one artwork and from those. Write your resignation letter yeah. on the back. I don't know. Right, right, right. Quit your job with a postcard from Pat. We have certainly are, several that are suitable to that to that endeavor. We we do. We we have a few that it doesn't even matter uh, what you write on the back You're of the postcard. You're probably going to lose you your job. Working there anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of them you'll some of the, you know and yeah exactly. You're uh, you don't even have to do anything. It's like it's a uh, right. kind of a get out of jail free card. But just. You will have to sign it so that they know who it's coming from. But other than that. Alternatively, uh, you don't sign it, and then they, the FBI opens some sort of terrorist watch thing. They're <laughs> trying to figure out who's sending these postcards. I dare say that half of our postcards would get you fired. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. I'm just reviewing, uh, and I'm like, most of these would get you fired. That's fair. Uh, some more than others. Yeah, I mean, some of them some, are fairly some will get you, benign. Some but, might get you double fired, yeah. uh, but others... Maybe At least most of them will get you a lot of side-eyed looks afterwards, for sure. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much to all our supporters, and thank you so much to our listeners. This week, we are talking about uh, an interesting little sports film uh, from a, a little sports ditty. A little sports ditty. Uh, from 1969, Downhill Racer, uh, starring Robert Redford, as we've already discussed. Gene Hackman's in here, too. Um, Man, I, coach. Can I... Can we talk about the fact that, like... Sorry to interrupt you so early. I don't know why. And this works for my children, too. Anytime anybody sees Gene Hackman on screen, we're all like, hey, look who it is. It's like, <laughs> I don't know why it's like that, but it's like, oh, like, for them, it's because of Superman. They're like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's the guy from Superman. But like, anytime I see Gene Hackman in a movie, kind of doesn't really matter, like what movie it is. I just get kind of excited. I get jazzed right, up. Right. It's weird. Yeah, we've seen Gene Hackman a couple of times. One 
we did a bonus episode where we watched Superman. Uh, but we also saw him in Royal Tannenbaums a few years back. Um, and I don't know. I can't remember if he's well, popped I mean, up in I, any I also, Criterion stuff. I, you see Gene Hackman other stuff that isn't. Right, that we right, don't do right. This podcast. I don't watch certainly. a lot of movies outside of this podcast, but I do watch movies right. occasionally. Yeah. Um, have we? Has there been a actual episode where we've seen Robert Redford yet? No, I do not believe so. I don't think. Yeah, we watched we watched sneakers for a bonus episode. Um, I think but, uh, I think the Criterion Collection up until this point is completely Robert Redford free, which yeah. is uh, we talked about this. I think at the end, and I don't know if we recorded it last week or yeah. two weeks ago. Like the problem is, is that like when you get into the sort of echelon of films that somebody like Robert Redford is in. They sort of fall out of the purview of Criterion Collection because right, no matter how good they are, Criterion doesn't need to release them. They're already they widely already re- released, and so. and they might want them to do like one of those special releases with like all the bonus features and stuff like that. But like, can they get them right? Like securing those rights is yeah. probably quite, I imagine, quite difficult. I wonder uh, if part of releasing this one was an uh, aftermath of the deal for Benjamin Button because this is a paramount me. this is a paramount picture. I I wonder how um, far that extends off through time but I imagine there might be a Well, it's uh, it's not that long in release. Like Benjamin Button would have been 2 months two well, or What what I mean is I wonder how this, far but... that goes into the future. I wonder where where like Yeah, I think you're right. I'm saying like I wonder how long that like it's probably not just a one movie thing it's probably like a, right, hey right, we're going right, to get right. access to a select set of paramount films i wonder which ones they are kind of thing right right i'm sure you keep your uh, eyes sure open we'll, for the the logo we'll see a few more coming up uh, i haven't mentioned this yet this is directed by michael ritchie uh it is his first film in fact he had never directed a okay. film prior to this uh, he would go on to a uh, couple years after this with Robert Redford as well, uh, do The Candidate, which is probably okay. um, his most well-regarded movie uh, culturally. I, bet. I mean, uh, come on, The Bad News Bears. Arguably, because he did direct The Bad News Bears, which is definitely another cultural touchstone and uh, probably the I best mean, sports movie. Let's be clear here. Uh, this guy's got an affinity for like... I mean, the, we've got Bad News Bears. We've got Cool Runnings quite a many well, years later. Right? He he He's wrote the, Cool Runnings. He did not direct Cool Runnings. He he wrote the story that oh, Cool yeah, Runnings sorry, is Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, it's the uh, one of the only ones that's got that mark yeah, on it. I mean, right, I guess right, he directed right. Fletch. Uh, he did direct both Fletch movies. Uh, there was, yes, a bit of a dark period in yeah. the 80s where, uh, where he was doing uh, – other things, uh, the Golden Child as well in in the eighties, not a great movie, um, I, but yeah, I seen he's. Uh, Why does that look so familiar? I definitely have seen the Scout. Uh, it is, it's a weird little comedy where Brandon Fraser is a uh, right semi pro baseball. I feel player like that maybe used to be on like TBS or something. Picked up by often. Albert Brooks. It's it was probably a TBS movie. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. There were a lot of baseball movies in in the '90s, and yeah. the Scout is one of them. Uh, it's basically the best thing, you right? Can right say yeah, that, I think. Uh, but I do remember seeing it. the uh, The background on this movie uh, is 
pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, um, Michael Ritchie was not the first choice here. So, so this is kind of, but not really, though perhaps legally, based off of a novel called The Downhill Racers by a guy named Oakley Hall. Okay. Um, the background is why I say kind of, but not really. But there was eventually a lawsuit, and I believe Hall won the lawsuit against Paramount to get writing credit. But uh, Paramount bought the rights to Hall's book and used the fact that they owned the rights to that book to entice noted ski enthusiast, among other things, Roman Polanski to direct the film. Uh, This was actually a ploy to get Roman Polanski to Paramount so that they could convince him to direct Rosemary's Baby. Uh, Polanski then got Robert Redford involved. Robert Redford then brought on screenwriter James Salter. Redford basically hired him and introduced him to Polanski and Polanski's partner, and they were like, okay, cool. Saltler hadn't read the book. Saltler never read the book. I'm coming to understand that that's not the that's a fairly common yeah. thing. Yeah, pretty common thing. Uh, Saltler recalled in his memoirs, I'm quoting from the Criterion essay here, I believe. Uh, Saltler recalled in his memoirs that Polanski gave me uh, a single sentence, his idea of the movie. It was to be something like High Noon. The sheriff had just been killed. In this case, the lead actor, the lead racer on the team has broken a leg. And they have to send for a replacement. I was impressed by the succinctness. Uh, so he's basically, first off, the idea that Polan- of how Polanski's mind works. that uh, Oh, this is just like High Noon. In that this one particular uh, plot aspect of High Noon where important man is replaced. By, by, uh, by, by nobody, yeah. Like, I don't know. By like, a nobody, yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, you know... Like over the go, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, over the course of all that, Polanski decided to focus on Rosemary's Baby and dropped out. Uh, so we don't, we're not watching a Polanski movie, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, that put it sort of on hiatus, and during that hiatus, Robert Redford uh, was hired to star in a movie called Blue. Uh, that something happened with. I don't even know if Blue was ever released. It was supposed to be a western that Paramount was making. Um, and he somehow breached his contract for Blue. So Paramount was suing Robert Redford oh my God. at some point in pre-production for Downhill Racer. Uh, but Redford really loved the idea for the movie, really wanted to do it. So he uh, appealed directly to the owner of Golf and Western, which was Paramount's parent company at the time. Uh and that finally got it moving forward, and they brought on Richie to direct. Um, yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> but but through all that time, kept uh, kept Saltler's script, because that was, uh, Saltler's script was what, what uh, Redford loved. He wanted to make that movie. Right. right? Um, Redford and Saltler bummed around Europe with the U.S. Olympic team, uh, just living their life, uh, sleeping in the hallway <laughs> outside their hotel rooms. <laughs> um, uh, so that is, uh, and they 
Redford based his portrayal on one particular skier. Uh, Soutler placed his idea of of the skier on one particular skier, a different one. Uh, Hall had had a third person in mind when he wrote the book. Uh, so it's... Uh, right, but like what, who, what, what who, I think that this movie does that is fascinating about that is that like it kind of doesn't matter. Right, 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 right. Who exactly Dave Chappellet is based off of is uh, uh, a matter of debate, and I'm sure it's actually just based off of a lot of people and that a lot of people act like Dave Chappellet. That's where I so, was going with this, is that, yeah. like, this movie does get to... It, gets, it does do an interesting thing about sort of boiling down the sort of... Um, the way that sport actually works, <laughs> like in terms of yeah. like yeah. the kinds of people engaged in it. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's, yeah. I mean, this movie is really fascinating. Um, I, I was on the rocks about it for a while, but especially after I watched it the second time, it, I, I was okay. I was pretty happy with it. Like even after the first time, but like the second time really solidified my viewpoints on it, which is that like, I, I kind of agree with Ebert and this might be the greatest sports movie ever made. Uh, the the reason I, I mean with the with the exception of the bad news bears right yes. right with the exception of the bad news bears like the reason I say that is that like he kind of and I don't know maybe in his original article he goes into it in more depth and gets into the same exact thing but like this movie does a thing like boy I I have too many thoughts about this but like this movie plays with the idea of forcing its audience to come to terms with the fact that like sports players and and champions especially are people and are probably as a function of being able to to get to the point where they are are assholes by and large in quite a lot yeah. of occasions and no matter despite the fact that we go out to great lengths to laud them in media and in our society it doesn't change who they fundamentally like who a person is fundamentally as a as a person right like they are they are the person that they are right like and and we don't deal as audience we don't deal with that element of their lives hardly at all uh right they it it feels very it feels very authentic as a result um and the sort of thought experiment i was working with when i was thinking about this yesterday was if you if if this character you know if uh what's his name dave Chabalette was a real person. I mean, he's obviously based on real people, but like if you were a real person, did it actually exist? And this were this were like one of those biographies that we encounter in media constantly, right? Especially right. Uh especially probably since what about the nineties, right? Like those like imagine what the story would what that movie would be. Like how it would be altered and changed and how it would represent him. And what happens in this movie, without really changing any of the details, but how it would be a radically different movie, describing the triumph of Dave Chappellet. Right, right. Whereas right. this movie is yeah. he is triumphant in this movie, but it's actually basically irrelevant. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter right. to us as the audience because like we're not rooting for Dave Chappellet to like. You know, and we even get that. Right. That we even got a we get a final like kind of like pin on it at the end about like just how much of an 
asshole he and his coach are because all that really matters is winning in the end right if this were if this were a movie about uh tom brady or michael phelps or you know not even people who are necessarily known for being jerks but just you know right top of their game uh yeah, it would. Well, I, every, all those everything about would, this would be changed right. if you were if it were about a real person because no one, no real person, would want uh, want the negative aspects that we see right, David right. Chaplet portrayed here, right? And, and what I was working through in my head is this idea that like, if we were to take Dave Chaplet as a real person, like the story that we see here is probably, I would say, fairly accurate to sort of the way. You know, even if he's maybe more of an, I mean, like again, I, not every sports player is an asshole or anything like that. I'm not, my point is that like, there's a lot of rough edges that are very human in here, right? And none of those would exist in that biopic of Dave Chaplin, right? Like, and right, and right, and it would right. all be flipped on its head to be very inspirational, right? Like, like you can imagine any given scene and how it would be spun differently in one of those biopics. Same content, same basic content. Right, but it right, would be spun right, just right. slightly different, played just slightly different, so that it's inspirational, right? Like him, like fighting to try to get a higher placing without really having ever done anything to earn it, would right. be like seen as inspirational and ambitious, right? It would be lauded as a positive virtue, right? Um, him, like for example, like racing his teammate down the hill would just be like a desire to be like never let go of the sport, right? Like oh, we. Right. Even even when it's ill advised, even when it's against the coach, it, it's the thing we just can't stop and, ourselves. Yeah, and of course would would be proof that he deserves a higher placing because he's better than right. Absolutely. The, uh, than the the higher placed. I teammate, mean, it would probably right? there probably be some stuff about Russians in there. I assume we don't <laughs> right. see any Russians here, but I assume Russians are participating in downhill skiing in the 1960s, and I assume that, that like. Any movie about this period will include some some just basic yeah. like ah well we got to beat that USSR team. I think the absolute biggest change would be we would get a scene at the end. His father would come to Europe. Absolutely, the yeah, end, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, for his sure. father would show up for the Olympics. Well, and that, and that they would stand off all those edges, right? Like his time with right. his father would be challenging, but like what made him the man he is today? Right, 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 right. Like right. that quiet, yeah. that that quiet sort of disdain his father holds for him was is motivational rather than like detrimental right. to his mental health um, i really i love his dad the dad's played by a non-actor by the way i don't know where they found him but uh yeah i mean it, well, i mean as it is the sort of atmosphere of the film is is amazing because we we get again a bio it's not a biopic but like you get a lot of that feeling it feels a lot like one of those kinds of movies, but as if they forgot to bring the sander and it's just the actual story instead. You know what I mean? Like it, it, because it has a lot of the aesthetics of those kinds of movies because those kinds of sports movies aren't about sports either. Like all those right. inspirational sports movies you've ever seen very rarely feature very much of the sport at all because as it turns out, we have a thing for that called watching sports uh, <laughs> and watching a movie that's mostly a game is confusing kind of at a fundamental level right like like i tuned i went to the movie theater and why i watched the super bowl uh, like is a like, you know what i mean like we don't it's just not how it works so like a movie about sports is very rarely about very much about sports at all um 
it's about the people involved in it and this one just doesn't have this one's meant to be somewhat abrasive and so it doesn't have any of those those touch-ups that you have in a in a proper biopic and i like it quite a bit for that right right yeah um the criterion essay for this one which was written by todd mccarthy uh compares him as uh you know the the anti-authoritarianism uh stubborn uh standard <laughs> standard of the time uh compares him to warren Beatty in bonnie and clyde compares him to Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate, to uh, the main characters of M.A.S.H. Um, I very much disagree with that uh, <laughs> that assessment, but okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, well, those are all they, sorts of different characters, too. Right, they are, they are. They, but, I mean... They like, have that, right. that string of... Uh, he throws uh, Fonda and Hopper and Easy Rider into there, too. Okay. But... You know, there's there's that that outsiderness to them, right? But like and, and the thing about it is, is like what I think that where that is a kind of a weird place to go with it is that this person isn't an outsider, right? He, right, he, right? 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 His he he very much is an insider. He just like ha, is hyper his, egotistical, right? So like, his, yeah, his anti authoritarianism authoritarianism isn't uh, it's not principled in any way, isn't. Yeah, it it isn't because the system is bad. It's because he's he's an egoist. Right. It's yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Which I say, you know, another aspect where this would be changed in in a normal sports biopic, or or even a biopic on on Dave Chaplet as if he were a real yeah, person. Yeah, it was just kind of the where I always uh, go. I would be that he get he, he learns, you know, he learns to get along with his team too, right? You know, he's not. Right, right, right. Yeah, that would be part of it. It's like he would learn yeah. to like let go of some of his ego. Like right. He obviously doesn't in this movie even while every while everyone else gets a begrudging respect for his talent, he also learns right. to Right. He would to, we, they would come to, to understand in. that he's misunderstood. That, uh, right, right, right. Some, right, some, right, there's right, some right. mitigating factor in his past that makes it okay for him to act like this. Um, it, always, um, yeah. No, I don't know. Like, what I, what yeah. I admire, what I think I admire most about, I, I really do like this movie. Quite, I don't usually like anti-heroes. Yeah, but I think it's mostly because I, the anti-heroes I've grown accustomed to tend to be like hyper violent or like really. With anti-heroes, it's always a it's a complicated gradient. You know what I mean? He, he this is an anti-hero, but he is very, very mild. Like you know what I mean? He is a he's just a jerk, a uh, very egotistical jerk. And like, it's easy to follow his story because like, you wouldn't want to be like him, and you don't really want to know anybody like him. But you probably met somebody who kind of acts like him, and it's very easy to like get a lock on the kind of person you're ta- you're watching, right? Um. But I, uh, the thing I admire most about the film, and it's the kind of like, not to sort of jump ahead to like kind of my favorite thing about it, but my favorite thing about the movie is actually the last like, I guess, two minutes of the movie, one minute of the movie, where, where, where we come to the, come to the realization that there's, that there's in practical terms, no real difference between Gene Hackman and Robert Redford's characters. Like yeah. Robert Gene Hagman's character talks a good game and has learned to play the sort of like nobility of the sport type shit, but they both smile and basically cheer when the person who's about to beat Robert Redford's record crashes. Like right. they they both 
are willing to re- like willing to take pleasure in the knowledge that someone else's catastrophe has secured them their goals. And so we really come to the terms with the idea that like and we and we do it earlier. It's not like this is the first like sort of like moral failing on Gene Hackman's part, right? Like Gene Hackman likes to lecture Robert Redford several times, uh, but like isn't gonna take him off the team. Isn't gonna take a principled stand that like no, the sport is worth more than winning the sport. Like, you know, that like somehow there's some nobility in the sport that extends beyond the realm of just winning. Uh, but it's it's a nice sort of nail in the coffin at the end there that like yeah they both are fine with winning right. by someone else's like failure right. and like taking like that person got hurt and taking what is basically pleasure in it because it secures them what they want. Yeah, but but the actual way the movie ends is, uh, yes, Chablet yeah, making eye contact with that person right. it, it, wait, and then just credits. No. Yeah. Well, actually, they lift him uh, up and then it's credits. Like, right, he's right. making they eye contact and then they lift him up. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, they do bother to like kind of emphasize that that at the end to sort of reemphasize that. Yeah, they're the same, but also Robert Redford's characters are like a grade A dickwad and like right, right. Gene well, Hackman's is more of like a like a standard run of the mill dickwad. Yeah, yeah. My my read on the end of that was also this was. This was Redford. This was Chapelet realizing that this guy was going to beat him next time they. I, that is definitely a other. read. There's right. a lot of reads into that look, <laughs> yeah. right? That's the the, Inter- the beauty of that look yeah. is it's got a lot of like emotional depth to it. Yeah. There's that. There's the fact that like you could read it as Robert Fredericks' character sort of being like, well, you know, I'm the top dog now. Like, right, right. Like, I, you're uh, the one who keeps like winning, but like. It, or like this guy's going to replace me. It's there's a lot of different possible reads into yeah. that look. Yeah, interestingly, uh, I can find no description of how this how the script ends. Uh, but the Criterion essay says that um, that the writer had a much more quote blatantly ironic ending to the movie. Hmm. Interesting. That they did not use. I wonder. Um, and I and I wonder if that Chaplet losing, which would certainly be f- phenomenal. Yeah, too, I mean, yeah, honestly. that would that would be also pretty great. Like, yeah, yeah, that you know, having that. But they just, you know, they, yeah, that they couldn't, they couldn't have him lose. Uh, well, but, I uh, see. I don't. I think though that like I, I feel like at that point that's a choice, right? Like the way it does end is pretty sweet in terms of like making the point about sort of what the movie's central yeah it, it, the end secures what the theme that they end up going with in the movie but that right, him right, losing right. would secure a different theme it would what it would do is it would serve that the ending sort of retroactively secures which read of the movie you're going to take essentially you know what i mean like by having him lose at the end would secure a sort of different read of the film that's equally valid and also very interesting and the all the material is there yeah. about like or, this rashness and stuff is not like yeah there's right it, it's another a a bigger ironic ending would of course be him injuring himself yeah. as he goes down since he's only on the team because the opening sequence yeah. we had someone injure themselves and uh you know he basically tried to kill Creech in their race yeah, together yeah. uh so uh well, and we, we kind of not that, hurt, but that's the third sort of read on that stare is that like, <laughs> yeah. 
is a is a sort of us at least as an audience acknowledging that like the way that Robert Redford's character does this eventually Robert Redford will be like Robert Redford's character has already crashed several times in the movie. Yeah. He's eventually right. going to take himself out. Yeah. It, it, like it's it's a guarantee. He's eventually going to do the thing where he's just not a player, a contender anymore. He's going to be just gone. Yeah. Another thing I love about this movie uh is it's just the bare the bare basics it it gives us about this sport yeah without without really without being didactic about it right yeah. like like when uh when Chapelet's complaining about his low seed he talks about oh the ruts are going to be so deep uh, and yeah he's by the time I race or something yeah uh, that that I'm not going to be able to to you know, to to you know function uh so it's this you know the the seeding uh with with this you know from that we learned that uh one of the aspects of downhill skiing is uh you want to go early uh so that you have the best track available right right but, um, right and then but the movie the movie does this thing and it does this in a couple other regards with the, with regards to other stuff but the movie also like turns that on its head right a couple times right, right? it also he gets forth with a shitty seeding anyway right which is right. sort of throws it in the face of the idea that that which it's, is that it's the end all yeah be but all. that's just how talented but he is also too, right? then but then also we have gene hackman's character be like just basically shut the fuck up like stop it like you're making excuses right. that like right, right the seating right. is important but not the thing that makes the whole race happen like otherwise yeah. every low c would lose every race forever like you just did a bad job you are not right. as good as you think you are you have you have more to overcome sure but uh yeah, it's not it's not all about well, and, the seating. And in that way it tells you a lot about the sport very organically, right? Like you learn a lot about right. the sport right there. Like you you run through essentially a whole host of like things that you would learn about a sport through sort of like time spent watching it through these like sort of exchanges, right? It's like, okay, so this thing is important, but not the only thing that's important to like winning, you know, a lot of Right, interesting stuff like that. I think it's a thing I admire because most biopic that in the same way, most of the biopics I've I've seen more sports biopics than I care to in my life, <laughs> primarily because they I used to ride on airplanes that didn't let you choose your movie, and biopics yeah. are 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 air are airplane catnip because they're hyper inoffensive. For quite some time in my history of travel. Almost every time I got on an airplane, I watched some sort of sports biopic, partially because they were just cranking them out in like the like late '90s, early 2000s, mid 2000s. They were just, they, just all the time, every sport you could possibly imagine. Um, and they're super safe. You can just you can just show them. You almost never have to worry. The message is always deemed positive by society, even if the person, even if some a few bad words are exchanged. Well, you censor those, and even then, like everybody accepts. So, well, they they talk that way because they care so much. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's 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 a weird thing that like cursing in sports movies just get a pass because it's like, well, they it's just so intense they they can't help themselves. Um, but but my point is that like the ones that feature a sport that 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 the that the writers and directors or maybe the producers have come to believe is not a well regarded, well understood sport will often have the coach at some point explaining the sport to some outsider in like detail 
Like, right, this is how right. our sport works. And, like, I don't know shit about downhill racing, but the movie did not do that, and I definitely know more about downhill racing than I did before. Uh, Indeed. Like, alpine yeah. ski racing or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. And the way the way this movie actually handles its sport is just – it's very good. Not just with that, but the way they're shooting it is yeah. just so – it's documentarian to some regard, and there's there's plenty of great bits in this movie where a scene is introduced as if we're just watching the news, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we're watching people be interviewed. We're seeing the entirety of the interview instead of what it was cut for. Uh, I particularly love where uh, there was one scene, there was one scene where the the English announcer uh, announcing the race, um, the the television personality. Oh, is this the, the one race. where they get the the wrong person? <laughs> Yeah, he goofs up. Well, the best the best himself. part about that scene though is that they found an actor who looks a fuck ton like Robert Redford. <laughs> yes, like, so even yes. at us as the audience, like when you see it, you're like, he go. Yeah. They show him, and then like the the guy's like, oh, that's the wrong guy, and you're like, oh, that is the wrong guy. That's not Robert Redford. <laughs> right. And then they pan over, right. and it's another guy who. Lo- it's like, wait a minute, these two do yeah. look a lot alike. Yeah, um, there's another one where. Uh, where the TV announcer is is introducing a race and just like I think he names the city wrong is what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, great little details like that, but just the way the skiing is shot. Yeah, uh, you know, some of that stuff where their their ski double for Robert Redford is also doubling his cameraman in some of those yes, shots. Yes, yeah. I was so <laughs> impressed. I was, I was, honest to God, kind of flabbergasted. Because yeah. I was like, I did not realize at this point we're at a point where like, that's a very challenging and uh, dangerous and expensive thing to engage with. Because <laughs> right, like, right. film cameras like of the of the quality for for a uh, feature film are expensive, heavy, and will probably kill a person who crashes their ski. Like in you know right, what I mean? Like right, right. Somebody carrying that crashing into something is probably going to hurt themselves very badly. It's yes. kind of wild. But it's very cool. Like it was it got it t- I was like cuz in my mind, you know, like at this point in in history, I've kind of come to associate the sort of like helmet cam action cam style as a modern thing because it has become more much more trivial at this point in right. in right. history. And then you see it in a movie from 1969, and you're like, holy shit, like, what? Yeah. That came out of left field, and it's amazing. Yeah, of course, something like this shot today, you could get 4K, 4K action footage from right, a GoPro exactly. strapped to the guy. Exactly, you throw <laughs> the strap of GoPro right. on the person, and you go. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, but it's like, in this film, it's like, whoa, holy cow. Right, right. However they're shooting is... Yeah. Right. And they uh, and even crazy. when it's not even when it's not yeah, I don't even know how, but like like um and the shot's fairly steady can all things considered without having any sort of steady cam that they could rig onto the it's pretty amazing. Um I actually but even outside of that camera, I'm really impressed by how kinetic the the ski shooting it, Oh yeah. What it rem- it it comes off like winter olympics like modern winter olympics uh like promotional footage you you know what i mean like it's it's really hyperkinetic and it's really amazing because you're like you get to see a sport in a way that feels that feels and i don't know 
really, but feels very authentic, but in a way that, like, if you were watching on TV, you never would have gotten. Because yeah. they, they just couldn't make that happen with, like, TV cameras in a live sport in this time period. Whereas we're getting that feel, and it's what, like, this is really, really impressive. It does remind me with the way some of the, there are other sports movies that kind of feel this way from this era. Um, that, that, but like, it's just a very, it's very well done that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just the way all of that is shot. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, uh, our female lead here. Carol, uh, Stahl is the character's name played by Camilla Sparv. Um, who was a Swedish actress who I kept thinking was, uh, uh, Barbara Streisand. She looks like a young Barbara Streisand to me a lot. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, But anyway, um, I love her function in this movie of. uh, So Chapelet goes home and for whatever reason, uh, the scenes of him in town when he goes home are actually filmed on location in Idaho. Okay. (laughs) Springs, Colorado. I don't know why they bothered to go, but they did. Uh, but, uh, but while he's home, uh, he, uh, his dad says something pithy and makes him mad. (laughs) So he goes and finds an ex-girlfriend and picks her up in the street and, uh, has sex with her in the back of the car. Right. And really like we solidify fairly early. This kind of guy is a jerk. Like just the way he interacts with, cause we, up until now we don't have a real good feel for him, but it really like. Okay, like now we understand the kind of person he is. Yeah, when we see him being a jerk, not on the ski team, right? Uh, <laughs> he's he's a big jerk. Um, so he goes back to Europe and he sees uh, Carol in the restaurant, and she is the secretary, the assistant to the guy who owns the ski company, Machette. Um. And is obviously used to entice yeah, of course, uh-huh. yeah. skiers, yeah. right? Um, another thing with Machette's introductory scene that I love, actually, is that um, both he and Hackman, uh, as the coach, get a scene where they are giving the exact same spiel yeah. for, for money. Uh, Hackman encouraging donations to the team and sponsorship of the team, Machette giving the same spiel to every single racer. Now, I don't, I don't want to jeopardize your amateur status for the Olympics. I just want you to win the Olympics on my skis, uh, is what he says twice. Whereas yeah. the way it's handled with, uh, with Coach, uh, is that uh, we just cut between two different corporate settings while right. he is giving one constant speech which is very very well done it's, well. it's excellent really like and and, and yeah. yeah and it, it is a it it helps to kind of further like understand like how the the sort of again the nobility of the quote-unquote nobility right. of the sport is hyper corrupted yeah sort of at, right at a right and this whole and, this whole idea that the the olympics you know particularly at the time less so today um one because i don't think this is an olympics rule anymore uh, but the idea that the Olympics is is all amateurs, right? That it's all people not not doing this for a living, even as they spend every minute of their life doing it. 
right? right? They've got to have some sort of income. (laughs) So how are they not racing for a living? Um, But yeah. Uh, Anyway, Carol's there and Robert Redford. uh, It's this really great moment where he's like building up to saying something to her. Like he walks by and gets a better look at her and then goes to the bathroom and just like stands there for a couple of minutes. Right. Right. Um, and he comes back and Hackman's at the table and sees him and invites him to join. And then she goes to dance with the other skier and he gets sucked into the conversation with, with Machette. Um, but yeah, they, they get together. Uh, and she's obviously just enticing him and like, he's lonely and, uh, Falls for her, I suppose. Well, and, uh, and even that's sort of fascinating, right? Because the thing he initially seems to enjoy about her company is her reading about him. Like, right. is her reading news articles about him to him from like, right, from German right, newspapers. Right, right, right. It's like, right. it's it's really fascinating because like his attachment to her is, is sort of inherently narcissistic as well. It's really... Right, right. Like the, at all times, we're building up this understanding that th- for this person, there is no other people but him. Like, right of any of any significance. Like she's reading him in this newspaper, and then he ends it by saying, hey, "Read it again to me." Like, yes. which is maybe the most fucked up thing, maybe almost the most fucked up sentence uttered in the entire movie. If right. You, if you spend any way. time thinking about like, read this newspaper article that you just read to me about me to me again, yeah. while I lean back and absorb it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then the, you know, how their relationship falls apart is that uh, he invites her to spend Christmas with him and she goes home to her family. Right. Uh, Like it's so, and then he gets mad when she starts telling him about her. Right. Time at home with her. Which which mirrors the way he treated his old girl. It it is more intense because he's, I think because his narcissism to a certain extent has expanded, become even more intense. So as a result, his response is more intense, but he does the exact same thing to his old girlfriend in the car. Well, in the sense that that he utterly ignores her. She talks and he's like hunting for like tissues and he like eventually asks her about gum, which is completely unreal. He's like, I don't know. Do you have any more gum? Which is like obviously not the same thing, but it's exactly the same sort of theme, right? This like yeah, but her it's, talking is not. It's relevant. also it's also mirrored, like actually mirrored in that now he is on the receiving yes, end yeah. of being the person left at home, right. uh, while while the one you were longing after disappeared for t- <laughs> for an extended period of time, right? Um, and you know she's. Carol's already been back in town for a week by the time they randomly run into each other. Right. Uh, he's like, did your boss tell you I called? She says, oh, yeah, he mentioned it. With like, Yeah, and know. he can't, he cannot even remotely handle the idea that, like, her regard for him is not as high as his regard for him is. Right? Like, right. As, right, as right, fucked up right. as that sentence is, like, he, the way- she doesn't treat him as important enough. Right. And the way he interrupts her by just laying on the horn. And, you know, she gets the message. She just gets out of the car and walks which is, away. Which is it, in which, especially the second time I watched, I was like, I, I thought this is the first time, but it even struck me more. And so, like, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, but wait, this is her car. Right. Like, right, like right. nonetheless, like, she's right. Just get the fuck up and walk out. Yeah. And this is like, leave. But it's also just very funny because he's just sitting in her car. And it's like, that's just so if, funny somehow. It's just a very funny. 
like funny yeah. scene. Yeah. And of course, then we cut directly from that scene of him blowing things up with Carol, basically, uh, to him blowing things up with Creech. It is, we immediately segue to the yeah. downhill race with Creech where he, where he tries to kill Creech. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's, yeah, there's no, there's, there's no way no around really, it. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he pushes him to that outside lane, like, where, like, right. Creech just has literally no, like, yeah. essentially no to... hope but to bail out, hopefully, before he hits a brick wall. Like, right. It's, right. it's dark. Like, I mean, like, his character's arc towards an even darker darkness is, yeah, is very well written on, it's very well presented on screen and, like, pretty fucked up. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, and the thing is, is that, like, Creech is not really even a, a threat to him in terms of, like, skiing prowess or something like that. Like, no, none of the other skiers are, like, none of them are going to break the record him. or anything like that. Like, right. Creech is, is essentially the captain of the team. Right. Uh, but already by but, that point, like, there, he's, Creech, he, like, Creech is not winning the race. Like, Creech isn't getting the best times. Like, uh, yeah. like Dave, Dave Chabot is like still beating Creech's times. It's just a matter of like he can't handle the idea that there's somebody on the team who might be a threat to his his like importance. Yeah. and like, and, it's just interesting. And it's it's interesting that no one no one on the team is really like David is an outsider on the team because he's made himself an outsider of the team and he refuses to integrate from the team. It's not like yeah, they didn't push him is out. saying, oh, this guy doesn't deserve to be a higher a higher uh, seat because I'm so much better than him, right? It's not It's not that David Chavalet has to prove himself against Creech or against DK or, or against anybody else on the team. He's just a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, he can't... And, like, and there are conversations about how he's a jerk and he's not integrating on the team. And the one assistant coach, you know, says at one point, "Well, it's a, it's not a team sport, is it?" Uh, well, yeah, and that's as, the funny thing, right? Is it? it yeah. It's a really funny thing because the movie even sort of addresses a, a strange thing about these kinds of sports, where it's like, "Yeah, you bring a team, but like, are they in what way are they a team?" Like, yeah, you don't get gold based on the scores of your whole team. You get gold based on like the individual on your team how successful they are like right it's, right the other guys could be absolute garbage and it just doesn't matter as long as you've got the one person who's very very good right um it, it's just it's fascinating i i he he doesn't need he's in his mind and he's not technically incorrect doesn't actually need the team like the team is not relevant right. to his sort of mental calculations right um, yeah, he's just uh, he's, he's just, just a, a jerk. He's just a bad person. He's just a jerk. I mean, he's he is he is uh, very American, <laughs> right? Well, and that's a, and that's kind of what. Okay, so like to get back to what we were talking about before, that's kind of where I was mentally going with it. Is that as a part of the process of thinking about what this movie could, what a different version of this movie would look like, is the fact that like nothing about this story is is a, none of the things everything that is wrong with him would be viewed as a virtue through the lens of the way Americans understand sport and competition 
Right, right, right. Like the movie yeah. very much presents it to you, so you understand these are not virtues. Like, right. I, I, we, we give movies with antiheroes a lot of shit a lot of times, and you could, yeah, somebody could definitely watch this movie and and misread it a hundred percent. But it, it's doing a pretty damn good job of making it clear I, that Dave Chappelle is I'm, not a good person. I'm not so sure someone could watch this movie and misread it. I have come to the I have come to the firm belief that 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 it, that much like war or anything else, it's impossible. Right. <laughs> right. That some right, there is right, some right, asshole right. out. I mean, all those movies about Wall Street, people like look at them as aspirational, and they're very clearly about how bad this is. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think people can misread any movie. I will say that by and large, they're doing a very good job because Dave Chappelle does not feel cool. And that a lot, so I, I'm sure that credit goes all around the around the room on that. I think definitely acting wise, I think Robert Riffer is doing a very good job of conveying this guy is an asshole and his life is bad in many ways because he makes it bad by being an asshole. And right, and it's not cool. Like it's just you don't want to be this guy. But is there somebody out there who watched this movie and was like, "I'm gonna be that guy." Right. guarantee you that fucking person exists okay so uh in trying in researching and trying to find what the alternative ending okay was uh he's abducted i by found holy shit that would <laughs> be left field. i i found a review of this movie that does not answer that question at all but is i think indicative of how someone reads this movie wrong okay uh, well, I think we've not, already talked about that a couple times because thinking of him right. as an outsider in the in the vein of like Easy Rider or right, right, right. or Mash is already a wrong read of this movie. Right. Well, that that is to say how how someone could read this movie wrong, but not still not read him as a hero. Okay. Read D- Davis a hero, um, and this is maybe the personality of someone. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I won't name the website. Okay. You can find it if you want. I won't call it out. Uh, but but to say it is the personal blog of a guy who uh, moved to China and started holding DJ parties, and like that was that was his main income. Wow! So the idea of 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 who this sort of person is. He starts his movie review of Downhill Racer with the day after a raging house party. We didn't want to do anything but decompress, uh, and house party is a link. Uh, so um, <laughs> okay, know. but like a link to what? Like the Wikipedia <laughs> definition of a house party? No, no, no. To his blog post on the house okay, party. I see. Uh, I like my version better. Or on the for those of you who the... aren't hip. Yeah. Here's a Wikipedia article. Anyway, have so you ever seen the movie House Party? It's exactly like that. Yeah, they're decompressing and decide to to uh, watch this movie that none of them had ever watched before and end up watching Downhill Racer. What a weird and of course choice this, already. This like, is this is not a crowd to watch Downhill Racer, right? Uh his his introduction to it says it's directed by Michael Ritchie, uh whose most famous film might be The Golden Child. Like he's already picked he's, the weirdest he's got, choice. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a I mean it, Fletch would have been a weirder choice, but The Golden well, Child is not a good one. No, uh, I mean yeah, no, anyway. I mean like those are not no those are good choice. I feel like I know the name Fletch better. I mean, I know Golden right, Child too, right. but like I don't know. Like somehow Fletch is a movie that like exists in my brain as a movie because I think it was yeah. again it was probably on TBS like all the fucking time or something. I don't know. Yeah. So so his description of Downhill Racer is that it's about an Olympic downhill skier who fights his way to the top. 
The movie is basically an extended analogy for the American dream. And yes, he is reading it how how you think people could misread this movie of David as a hero in that introduction. And, 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 and if you read that, and if you are if you are predisposed to thinking the Ameri- the way the American dream functions, <laughs> that the American badly, dream is good, <laughs> yes. right? And you could, I also agree. This is an extended metaphor right. for the American dream. This, I just don't read that as a positive. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely, this is actually an extended metaphor for the American dream. He is correct there. Uh, he probably read it somewhere else, but he is correct there uh anyway um (laughs) he talks about why the movie is weird in that it does the full credits at the beginning uh is one thing he says makes this movie weird the second bizarre thing was the ending of the movie spoiler alert the protagonist in downhill racing becomes an olympic champion at the end i assume that's being pithy Uh, of course he does right uh this shouldn't come as a surprise really but what is strange is as that as soon as he wins the gold medal, he smiles and the screen turns black. Movie over. No music, no credits, nothing. The movie is incredibly stark and abrupt. After Downhill Racer concluded, we decided not to sleep yet and watched American Beauty. The contrast between the two was staggering. American Beauty features relatable characters, familiar settings, and a lush soundtrack. I'm terrified by this person. It, this person it might just, need to be in jail. It just felt so much more coherent. I often prefer oh, older movies I'm, because I'm many of them were produced. Adam. <laughs> You're hurting me. Sorry, keep going. I just... oh. It's the last, the last sentence. I often prefer older movies because many of them were produced before the mold of modern film convention had been set, but some of them just age better than others, uh, wow. which, which actually implies that he's referring in 2013, referring to both American Beauty and Downhill Racer I don't, as older I don't movies. I don't think that's what he's but, implying. I think he's saying that like he true. likes old movies and he picked Downhill right, 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 Racer because right, right, it's right. an old, an air quotes, old movie. Yeah. And he was expecting, right. I guess, like a Clark Gable thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Was he, anyway. I don't know. I really would love to, like, I don't, I would love, this is all very facetious because I would not love to know. Um, yeah. What, like, he, what is in his mind when he thinks of an old movie that he likes because it hasn't it exists prior to the development of film conventions which is hilarious because a movie from 1969 does not exist prior to the development of modern film conventions (laughs) even a little bit right right, uh but but just that i mean one reason this movie (laughs) yeah one reason this movie exists how it exists is that it is pushing back against established film conventions absolutely like yes i mean it is definitely in conversation with other sports films of the time like right. let's be very clear. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I, I definitely don't like to read someone else's review just to down on it. But but it is to say, uh, I think your fear that someone could misread this movie and still think of Dave as a hero is maybe misplaced because the guy who misread this movie and read Dave as a hero thought the movie was boring and never wants to think about it again. Yeah, so. you might be right. You might be right because it, it as a hero narr- as a purely hero narrative, it 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 would not be a very good one. You're right. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, obviously also uh his dig at the soundtrack. Uh this movie has a great soundtrack. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I I I don't know what I I don't know. I don't Anyway. I love the I love the sort of like weird diegetics of the the soundtrack always like <laughs> yeah yeah like not yeah. always but like half the time it's like well yeah of course there's a band in the room like why wouldn't right, there be right right uh, of course like, of course this random bands yeah this random bar at at the ski competition in the middle of Europe has some band playing Moon River uh, yeah I so. mean checks out to me 
Yeah. I've been in a lot of weird bars with a lot of people playing music that don't seem <laughs> right. does not seem appropriate. Um yeah, no, it, it's um yeah, no, I I I you're right. I think you are right about <laughs> what you're saying. I guess there's probably there's probably a nexus. There's like probably like eight people. Like real <laughs> hardcore yeah, yeah. Robert Redford fans who somehow also don't refuse to read deeply into the narratives of stories that they of movies they watch. Although that seems like that would be a, I guess Robert, Robert Redford, I have not seen nearly as many Robert Redford films as I should have. I am I am a fan, but I am a fair weather fan in the sense that I just watch I, from time to time and have seen a decent number. <laughs> what I will say is that I don't see him as a person who doesn't take complicated roles, right? Um, who like shies away from complicated roles, and so. I guess it would be hard to imagine a like hardcore Robert Redford fan who like also like doesn't like to think about the movies he's watching. Right. The person has to exist. Oh, almost certainly. <laughs> like like I said, there's just like there's like five people out there who watch this movie and are like, Fuck yeah, I mean, man. Listen. He won the race. There are Amazing. There are definitely people who who watch any Robert Redford movie just because Robert Redford's attractive. I so, mean, like, this is know, true. You don't you um, don't need to have yeah, you that's kind of where I was a going. A deeper with relationship it, yeah. with with a uh, box office star. That, exactly, uh, for decades, exactly. That's right? kind of where I was going with it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that like there, he has a decent number of movies that if you're watching it just because Robert Redford's attractive, you are going to get bored. Right, and there, there are definitely <laughs> movies. It's a man in some very slow films. Right, uh, there are definitely there are definitely movies that Robert Redford's been in where you can take a more critical lens, but you and and get something out of taking mm-hmm. a more critical lens, and maybe the producers meant for you to take that more critical lens, but also you can just watch. Them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and he's and he's had movies like that forever. It's not like he's he's not like he's only in like challenging roles. He yeah. just certainly you can watch Robert Redford movies and uh, and not. Uh, not engage with them any more deeply. Right. And I just wonder what this movie would level. be like if you And he has that. been in movies. <laughs> yeah. He has been in movies that would encourage you to do that. Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, um, I because just, he's I, been in a lot of movies yes, over the course of his life. I'm <laughs> just trying to imagine that person going into this movie and what they would think about it. That's all. Yeah. And I think the answer is yeah. boring. I think the answer would be this movie is kind of boring. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, I really, I, there's a lot to like about this movie. Um, I will say that like it has a really interesting pacing in the sense that it it is both I'm going to say something that sounds stupid and might be stupid. It is both very <laughs> slow and very fast. Yeah. In the oh, sense no, that's that like, absolutely true. I watched it a second time and saw scenes I missed in the first viewing despite having watched the movie. Like I yeah. didn't do other stuff. I must have looked away for a minute and missed an entire scene. Despite, you know what I mean, like I wasn't doing anything the first time I watched the movie. I wasn't doing dishes or something like that. I was watching the movie like concentratedly, missed the scene the first time, saw it the second time. Despite the fact that the movie is not fast paced, somehow you can, I don't know how to describe it. The, the pacing seems very calm, but there's actually like the scene, individual scenes aren't very long, and there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, they they come quite quickly, despite the movie just not being a fast-paced movie. Uh, it's very fascinating. I don't know how that's possible, but it's my feeling on it. I also really, 
am fascinated by the fact that like there's actually very very little dialogue in this movie. Yeah. The movie is is fascinatingly quiet and still for for what it is. Like because you get a whole story like at the end you feel like you watched a movie that was that it's a very well developed full story despite having very little dialogue like all total. Like Oh yeah. I imagine I I didn't have the time the second time I watched it. I was like almost like I should count how much how much dialogue is actually in this movie. Incident like there's incidental dialogue. There's things happening in the background. There's people speaking German and Swiss and right. shit in the background, all that stuff. But like um like in terms of like main character dialogue, there's very little. Um but when you're but I only sort of noticed it in hindsight as I went back and sort of mentally reviewed the film. When actually watching it, it feels like it's full of dialogue in the sense that like the full the story feels very round, despite again, very little actually being said. Which was kinda neat. Yeah. It's yeah. NFT. It is not a it, and a lot of the film a lot of the dialogue in the film uh does seem to be semi improvised. Uh mm, yeah. I think particularly of uh after after Chaplet and and Creech have their race and Creech almost hits a wall. Um, when the coach comes in to dress Shaplet down, uh, realistically, um, to someone who is very angry <laughs> and trying not to be very, very angry. Right. Uh, the coach sort of stumbles over his words right. at some points where he's uh, and and I think that might be an indication that it was also maybe semi improvised but but I really don't know. Yeah, it's hard um, to tell. I mean like I I agree. If if it is not improvised it is incredibly well acted. Yeah. Uh, it's incredibly well acted anyway. Right, but, right, 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 like, right, right. I what I I mean especially the way that eventually the coach gives up and is like I'm giving details I might as well be just be talking to a brick wall. Basically, I'm gonna right, right, give right, details right, right, to right, you right. about how this game actually works when you clearly do not care, and we'll get nothing out of it and just sort of gives up and leaves. It's really that right. the, the ending of that is really fascinating. Um, and then you know, and then Rod Redford also plays it really well, like being just a petulant child. Basically, like, did you give this speech to the other guy, the one who crashed that almost hit the wall, like? Just like a little kid, like the way like little kids do that kind of thing where it's like, well, you're not being fair about who you're mad at first. Like, did you go yell at the other guy? Right, 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 right. Even though it wasn't the other guy's idea or like fault. Like he didn't instigate <laughs> it and like he yeah. also didn't like try to shove you into a wall. Like, right. And then also um, playing innocent, like with a, like, but not even trying really hard. Just being like, well, I didn't make him crash. He could crash yeah. anytime he's out there. Like, well, usually they're not another person trying to run him off the track, is there? Yeah. Um, interestingly, the uh, the Criterion essay does mention improvised dialogue, but says that the uh, uh, only limits that improvisation to the interviews and press conference scenes as being improvised. Um, <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I, I am, yeah, maybe. I wonder. Obviously, like the. The woman who interviews the team and then walks out while Redford's 
talking to Carol and, and tries uh, to determine if he masturbates <laughs> or not. <laughs> he practices self. Uh, how she say? Self denial. Self denial. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also read that as her like flirting with him openly. But, I think so too. Uh, yes, I agree. Yeah. But it is also but, it is all some total pretty funny. Right. Right. Anyway, I mean, she was um, basically flirting like with the whole team and then also they were flirting. Yeah. the conversation right. at that breakfast table was real fucking weird and Gene, yeah yeah and the best part is gene hackman's character just getting more and more frustrated with this <laughs> right. just this absolutely fucking inane conversation like listen we have women on the team they're really great let's move on yeah can we like <laughs> eat our breakfast now yeah uh but yeah um anyway uh she's you know she's an actress uh yeah. but i wonder if uh, a lot of those press conferences and interview sections were improvised because they were just using the reporters who are already on scene while well, they're yeah. filming. Using and, the reporters uh, on yeah. scene or just like people hanging around. Like, I only need you to read this one line, ask this one question. Yeah. Like, do I need to hire an actor to do this or can I just get this one person to ask this one question? Yeah. Also, I can kind of see, like, I don't know if it was part of the consideration to do that, but also maybe trying to generate the sort of spontaneity that you get from interview questions in the sense that like the interviewee never knows what the question is going to be until it's asked. And so there's a certain sort of stumbling shambling through it that even the most sort of confident like speaker does when they're asked a question that, that like maybe they were trying to actively evoke. Right. And of course, Method acting as a process is at its best when an actor is so in character that they can handle something like right. that, answer answer those sorts of interview questions in character. Um, something, to get back to something you mentioned earlier that is very impressive about this movie uh, that the essay does actually bring up that I forgot about, uh, Joe J. Jalbert is the name of Redford's skiing double, uh-huh. and he also did the camera work for for the the skiing skiing point of view shots. Uh, and that camera was an Airflex camera that weighed 40 pounds, Jeez. 35 millimeter. I knew camera. it. I knew it was a death trap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to carry this like full size person with me basically. Right. And he's going down the mountain at 50 miles an hour just <laughs> with a 40, 40 pound oh, camera on top God. of himself. And then yeah. and again, it's, it is alarmingly stable. Like, right. It is shocking because, like, yeah, it gets jostled, but you're like, wow, like, that's really pretty smooth, all things considered. Like, I know what's going on when I'm watching this. Like, it's not like a jumbled yeah. mess. Redford's, Redford got Paramount to actually agree to make this movie on the promise that if he filmed it on location in Europe, he could do it super cheaply. Um, And it, it seems like, you know, they didn't really have accommodations, right? Right. You know, they, we're just hanging out with a ski team, uh, but uh, but I I have to imagine a bulk of the budget uh, went to the amount of cameras that Joe J. Chelper went through before. Yeah, I mean getting you have to imagine, shots. right? Like, like, I mean, maybe maybe he practiced with a forty pound ba- box of rocks. Yeah, uh, I mean you you have to wonder like. Did, this man can't be used to carrying 40 pounds no no way down the and, mountain like, and certainly not like and then there's the whole like additional effort of like it has to point in the right direction consistently right. the whole time like mm-hmm. if he's carrying yeah. the camera he can't use his hands to ski 
And if it's right. strapped to his chest or something like that, well, that is legit just a death trap. Because, yeah. like, if he crashes, it's going to go through him. Um, I don't know how... I don't even understand how that's possible. Like, I can't... Yeah. I And, like, going that fast? Like, I... How? Like, I really... I want, like, just a small background, like, behind the scenes. Like, I want a couple stills of him doing it. Because I just want to see, like, what that fucking looked like. Yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to get uh, yeah get the actual disc I really disc wish time. it would have been nice. It would have been really um, nice to get that. Although, if, I wonder it if looks it would have like, anything. Well, uh, Jalbert is among the people interviewed on one of the uh, okay. uh, 2009 interview uh, look back. Uh, that would have so, been nice to have. Uh, and the actual cameraman, and uh, and of course Redford and and Salter, the uh, the screenwriter. Um, so you know, it it looks like there's only one <laughs> that one bonus feature. Um, there's also <laughs> there's also a 12 minute trailer <laughs> from 1969, what? just titled "How Fast." It's a promotional feature, is what they call it. Uh, but it's twelve minutes long. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, an interesting thing is, I was I looked up the uh, cinematographer, yeah. and like, I mean, oh yeah, uh, an inter- like not, but like not certainly not a like high profile movie career at all. Like, I mean, yeah, lots of stuff, but, but just. But uh, Richie particularly sought out that cinematographer uh, because he had worked on Ken Loach's film. Uh, Oh goodness! Uh, I just lost the name of it. I need uh, to know. I'm so curious. Something cow. Um, oh I yeah, um, I saw that in the list. And I was like, "What is this movie? Poor cow." Uh, it's uh, it's an early Ken Loach film. That's all. I can that's say just, about I, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything else about it. Well, what um, I what where I was kind of going with that is I'm really imp- we we were talking about the the quality of the ski action shots, and and the cinematography of that. And this is a person who, as far as I can tell, in their sort of like history, never really shot like that kind of footage. Right, right. Well, who had, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> like, you could maybe find, like, I mean, Olympic films did exist and had been being done that's, for a that's long fair. time. And and so, and a lot of them often tried to convey the, 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 the passion and the excitement of the sport. And yeah. so they would for, post, for cam- instance, the speed walking section. Of, <laughs> yes, absolutely, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Most no- most notoriously of Tokyo sixty four. But like yeah. you know, like they would station, they would get special permission to station photog- like cameramen in, in specific places to like catch like certain turns and stuff in certain sports, and and so there are people with experience doing this. Not a lot, but I mean, and also other sports movies have been made. Like this is not the first. Certainly not the first sport movie. Yeah. Like and and so and and I can think of other ones that have a similar sort of affinity for the action of sport um that I've seen from around the same time period. Um but what's impressive is this is not a person with a history of doing that. You you, you know what I mean? Like uh it, it's it's just impressive. I don't know, like you would think that this would be very I'm I'm impressed by anybody who goes out of their like this far seemingly out of their comfort zone and then yeah. like hits it out of the park. You know what I mean? Right, like right, right. That's impressive. Yeah. Right. 
Um, you know, I've never seen that Ken Lynch film. I'm sure it's very well shot, but looking at the rest of this guy's cinematography in the seventies, he did a lot of hammer horror. Like yeah. there's probably not exactly things where the cinematography is their most noteworthy aspect. Right. right. Uh, not, not to say that the hammer horror stuff was phoned in, uh, as far as that goes, but, uh, that's not why you're watching those movies. Right. 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 So, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, Brian Probin is his name, by the way, if we haven't said it right. yet. Uh, but yeah, yeah. The even beyond the skiing stuff that the you know the professional skier did, the camera work in the, there. There's some really great shots and some really interesting stuff. You know the the interview stuff is very uh, well. Everything really is very documentarian. In yeah, and shot, it feels right? yeah on it the feels ground very eye level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the the shots of the skiing that aren't first person stuff are shot as if they were would be shot for television right for for right. uh for broadcast or whatever um you know uh, with just the pan across as they as they speed by right um yeah so there there's a lot going on in this movie that is very very good uh and obviously i love I love any movie that is accurately. It is about the American dream, right? The American dream kind conveys of the, the American dream <laughs> yeah. to its audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, Ebert called this the best movie ever made about sports without really being about sports at all, uh, which I suppose is accurate. Uh, yeah. But, well, I mentioned before. I, I think it's accurate, yeah. but if it it doesn't acknowledge, maybe in the proper article, it does. Like really, no sports movie is actually about sports, right? Um, no sports movie should should be yeah, about again, sports, right? unless you're paying your 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 yeah. your ticket fee to go in there and then watch the Super Bowl on the movie theater screen, and then it's not a movie. Right. I don't know. They just yeah, they're just not. That's not what they're about. Uh, I am uh, I am greatly relieved <laughs> that this is not another. <laughs> it's just, it's just movie. not an hour and a half of like downhill skis. Like, <laughs> although frankly, to be honest. If it were just an hour of the downhill skiing portions of this movie shot as well as they are, I'd be probably yeah, be okay. It would still it. be interesting. Yeah, I wasn't. I was. I was saying I'm glad it's not a Polanski movie, but oh, I'm yeah. also glad it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not that, but yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, really, honestly, I kind of say that to myself a lot. Yeah, and we sit down <laughs> to watch the movie. It's like, I'm glad every- this isn't a Polanski movie. Every Criterion film we've had since Knife in the Water. It's I'm really glad Polanski's not directing this. Yeah, one. it may be in no way involved in this. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, with with you know the one exception of the other Polanski movie we've seen. Right. Uh, but anyway, well, they can't uh, all be winners, Adam. They can't. All... Yeah. Uh, speaking of not not all of us being winners, uh, there's the rest of the team of the ski team. Uh, I love DK. Uh, yeah, DK. I love DK's introductory scene with Robert Redford, where Robert uh, Chaplin's just trying to get what DK stands for, and, right. and finally directly asks, uh, "What's DK stand for?" He says, "My name." Uh, and just the fact that he's so actively refusing. Right, to, it's really good. It's I'm so al- good. I'm also fascinated by he's also the person making the most effort to integrate Chaplin into right. the team, right. and he's just rebuffed at every. Yeah, every term. This seems to be just a person legitimately interested in like 
getting a little bit of like camaraderieship in, and just it's never going to happen. Right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh Yeah, it's a great movie. I'm so happy to have watched it. Uh, it's just. It is. It is the best sports movie I've ever seen. I was, yeah. No, I would. Really I would is. agree with that. It, it, it's certainly yeah. right up there. It's certainly. Because again, very few of them have any interest in sort of conveying this kind of information with a sports film, and so. Right, right, so. right, right. Uh, this is, according to the first paragraph of Wikipedia, I did not see him, but apparently this is Sylvester Stallone's uh, very first movie appearance as an extra in one of the restaurant scenes. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I was like, hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I like I said, I didn't. That feels I like- didn't see him. So I feel like that that's a weird little tidbit to put in your like Wikipedia article cuz like well I think that's one of the things that exists because it's citable in the Wikipedia article. Right, right, like, right yeah. Uh it's just, but apparently, it's, it's just one of those weird things cuz it's like yeah. that feels more like an IMDb thing than a Wikipedia thing. Right, right. Why it's is like, that well, bit of trivia really in, care, in but... paragraph 1 of the Wikipedia right. page? Uh but yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess he was some some theater pamphlet on the movie promotional material. He was listed as being in it, and that uh, has become a rare piece of memorabilia. Uh, anyway, don't really care. Yeah, the other thing I was I've been looking for is I was like I was like I know I've seen other sports movies that had that sort of same kineticness and stuff. And then every one that I'm thinking of came out after this. So I'm like, now I'm like doubting myself. I'm like, huh, I wonder if there there has to have been. This can't be the first one. But like now every single one I find, I'm like, oh, no, that came out in the 70s. That came out in the early 70s, not not late 60s. Tokyo 64 as a sports documentary did come out prior to this. Right. Although Tokyo is is a very different thing. Right, right. But the only time the only time that freneticness really does actually exist is hilariously in the, in the, in the, speed, uh, the speed walking, in the speed walking section. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and of course, the way uh, in Tokyo sixty four, the way the uh, the shot put is is shot is very yeah obvious. Right. The director of Tokyo sixty four was not interested in actually making a sports documentary. No, not at all. Hilariously, I, mean, I know that they're because uh, like. They have that Olympics box set. It's crazy. Right, I know right, that, right. like, I've seen clips from other Olympics documentaries just because, like, throughout. Right. I've I've watched enough right. like History Channel and stuff to like to have seen like just random like. Yeah. Where they're like, even, this is this, this is this sport, and they they show it. Thinking about other sports movies that that would have that freneticness, right? Uh, car racing. Uh, yeah, I I yeah I'm I'm wondering hockey. I, I see, uh, but all the hockey films I can think of that came out after this, like it's it's right. it's weird. I, I I don't. It's certainly not the first, but I can't. I when I started to try to place it, I was like, oh crap, I can't place what I'm like any of what I'm thinking of. Right. Uh, so it's just interesting in that way. Um, it's certainly. I mean, the handheld shot of the skiing is certainly, I would say, pretty revolutionary. It's yeah. I don't think I've ever seen much of that before. Certainly, I've seen cars done that way, but like not a. Not a single human being on skis, right? Putting themselves in serious danger, right? Uh, right. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of this movie. I, I am as well. 
And on that, we are big fans of this movie. Let's uh, pull this episode to a close. We've been talking about Downhill Racer from 1969, the directorial debut of Michael Ritchie, who would go on to film such classics as Fletch Returns. Uh, I think, and also Fletch. <laughs> he did, you know, he did. They, they but we'd already mentioned Fletch earlier okay, in the I'm episode. Sorry. I, I just, just wanted I was like, to make sure. I was like, it's, it feels almost unfair to accuse the person of, of only Fletch Returns. <laughs> Right, like that right. seems like somehow even worse. Fletch, like, the, I don't know. The fact that he came back for Fletch Returns, I maybe guess that seems is a bit of worse. an indictment. Yes, Fletch, you are right. Fletch Returns really seems like the sort of thing where you pawn that off on another director, right? Right, right. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> Fletch Returns is a perfectly serviceable comedy. Uh, I've watched it on television. I've never a lot. seen Fletch Returns. I've I've seen mo- some parts of Fletch, but I've never seen Fletch Returns. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. I probably never will. Uh, next week, we start a box set um, that should be pretty interesting. It is a collection of teleplays uh, collected as the golden age of television. Ultimately, eight made-for-TV movies. We'll be uh, spending, I think, three weeks covering all eight yeah. of those. So we'll be with us for a little bit. Look forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.